0: up, everyone. This is Rafael Garcia here with Sean Hughes for episode 160 of the MMA Ratings podcast. As always, we want to take the time to say we hope everyone is safe and healthy out there in the world as we are in, I think, like day, I would say day 35 of um, quarantine, stay at home, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. But thank you for taking the time to check us out tonight. This is episode 160 of the MMA Raiders podcast, where we are here to talk about all things combat sports that are going on right now. Um, there are some news stories going on, but um, we're going to be talking about that and some eventual shows that have been announced. Uh, Schwan, why don't you let everybody know how you're
1: doing? I'm doing good. Staying busy, man. Uh, got my kids exercising. I've been surprisingly getting a lot of people who are like, a lot of people who just graduated college or in college try, trying to get some work in, training on the basketball front. So it's been really weird. Like, I didn't expect to get that. But it's been a lot of guys getting ready to go pro or guys who are coming into their last year of college who want to get work in. So it's really weird just getting all these calls at this time. Very strange.
0: Speaking of basketball, The Last Dance, are you watching it? Yes or no?
1: Oh, yeah. Some good stuff.
0: Um, I really enjoyed the first night. And I'm going to be honest here, sir. I upgraded my cable just to make sure I could watch it. I've, yeah, I was like, I'm like, I was looking. I'm like, fuck, I don't have this channel. Like five minutes before the show, I was like, yo, Verizon, you better hook this up and hook this up within the next five minutes, so I can make sure I can watch this thing from start to finish. It's yeah, been great.
1: It's, I can't wait to see the rest of it. It's got like a, just watch episodes. It's got a high level of uh, rewatchability. Like there's, there's certain you watch it again, and you there's things you miss even though you know you're really focused on it. The little things you miss or like i could i watched that like two or three times it's like just hearing the stories and and seeing some of the back background information is kind of crazy like to have that much access
0: yeah they did yeah they 6. did 6.1 6. 6. 6. million viewers on sunday i think they're going about it the right way though extending it and not releasing it until every sunday because i mean i went almost tuesday and I've continued to talk about it. And I think they're going to do the right promotion to get people to keep talking about it Uh on like Thursday, Friday, it'll come back up. And then people will be hyped up again for it Sunday morning, Sunday night.
1: Yeah. I, it, I mean, it's hard not to, I mean, you know, and you got all the LeBron and Michael Jordan fans. So it's, it's hard to hard to get away from it to be quite honest.
0: Yeah. I'm not even here for that conversation. Not even here for it. Um, So we have, Quite a bit to talk about today, though, um, because this is not a basketball podcast. We are talking about combat sports, and we have two topics and listener questions to dive into today, the first of which being UFC 249. So we are a go. Um, Just, I would say, 90%. This event is scheduled for May 9th in Florida. They haven't announced the exact location yet, but bets were either on Las Vegas or Florida. And it will be a closed door event, and it has to adhere to social distancing guidelines. And um, before we dive into the questions about this, there's a lot of political development which led to this. And a uh, part of it is, you know, obviously, there's Donald Trump pushing for the economy to be reopened. He put together this panel of, I guess, quote unquote, experts who was a, nothing more than a bunch of old white men, because there are no people of color and no women on this panel. Uh, And he's pushing to get the economy opened back up. And basically sports is one of his big platforms because, you know, sports and politics don't go together. But sports is one of his big platforms and Dana White is one of his allies. And he's trying to get the UFC to, he's pushing the UFC to to open their doors as well. And in doing so, Vince McMahon and WWE leveraged their political clout to get Florida to deem them as essential business. Now we're talking about scripted wrestling as a essential business. Think about that line for a second. But, it say
1: said it again. Girl it, I think your girl Ronda Rousey calls it fake fighting.
0: Yeah, she's she's. We should add her as a topic too. But that's a whole another conversation for another day. But the political aspect of this is that the um there's a super PAC called America First. I believe that's the name of it. That dedicated of spending $18 million in advertising dollars, $18 million in advertising, purchasing, um, and a push to get Donald Trump reelected in Florida in 2020. They committed to spending that money. Um, the leader of that group is Linda McMahon, Vince McMahon's wife, who's another close ally of Donald Trump. So that's what pushed sports being deemed as essential business and opened the door for the UFC to hold UFC 249 in that venue now it's or uh, in that state so it's scheduled for May 9th which is about what three weeks from this weekend uh one two, yes three weeks from this weekend three Saturdays and yeah we have a little bit to talk about um the first piece about this one is does this surprise you um as much as we know about Florida you know they've already opened up their beaches I think Georgia did as well too. Does it surprise you that Florida is going to be the first state to step out there and get themselves in this situation?
1: Not really. Cause Florida, it seems like Florida closed down for like what a week and a half. Cause while everybody else was shutting down, there were still people on the beaches. I think they were close like a week and a half or two weeks. And now there are people right back on the beaches. So, I mean, if anywhere was going to go, Florida would have probably been the place. I was shocked that the USC didn't try to use Florida as an option earlier, seeing as they were the ones who seemed to take this, the least seriously out of any other state in in the country.
0: Yeah, I agree. I thought that they were going, definitely with the um, WWE still holding events, I expected them to um, try to leverage the performance center in some way, shape, or form, but they did not. But now we're at a situation where UFC 249 is still scheduled for that state. And the fight card is not official. It hasn't even been really revealed, but the plan is, as of right now, um, three. It was originally three title fights to be scheduled on this card. Um, Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje for the interim light lightweight title. Henry Hudo versus Dominic Cruz. We'll talk about that in a second. And Amanda Nunez was scheduled to defend against Felicia Spencer, but Amanda Nunez said, "Fuck that shit. I'm out. I'm not fighting during this time." Um, she wants a full camp and she wants to wait until uh, the coronavirus situation passes. We got a question about that, and uh, we're going to get on in segment three as well too. But what are your thoughts about this? Um, potential top three billing of a, uh, card here, Shawan. Do you expect the UFC to come out guns blazing and put damn near every champion they can on, on this card? Or do you expect them to maybe play a conservative just in case if some fights have to change up at last minute?
1: I would expect them to go all out. Uh, since uh, unlike other sporting events, uh, they have like a lot of stay over this. I would expect them to go all out to get as much talk and as much of a buzz as possible. I mean, if it was, when we were talking about having the Khabib-Gaichi fight, uh, the reason they were thinking about Gaichi as a replacement was because this is the fight that needs to draw interest. People aren't going to pay to see uh, Tony Ferguson fight, I don't know, Michael Johnson moves back up, or Tony Ferguson to fight... Um, I can't even think of a guy right now. They, they, they want they to see a very specific type of matchup. It has to be a matchup they can sell. It has to be a matchup that people will ask for. It has to be a matchup that's going to be exciting to fans, casuals, and hardcore. So they weren't just going to give us whatever. It's got to be fights that are going to incre- create debate, whether about the competit- competitiveness of the fight, the uh, stakes of the fight, or in the case of a Cruz Sahuto uh, fight, the ridiculousness of a fight. It's got to be something that's going to have talking points. So I don't think they can afford to just have a good card. They want a card that's going to, you know, have the three levels of talking. Oh, this is such a great fight. What's going to happen in the fight? And how do the big time, highly ranked, big star fighters feel about fighting in this environment? Those are all talking points that you can keep the UFC in the headlines for an extended period. And I, I think they want those kind of talking points.
0: So let's take this one. We've talked, and we're not going to do a full preview. Um, As I mentioned, there there isn't a full card, and we'll talk about that closer to the actual event date, probably that Tuesday before. But let's take a minute to talk about some of these fights. We've already talked about Justin Gaethje and Tony Tony Ferguson at length, so I don't want to dive back into that one until we go into our um, fight preview on uh, closer to the actual event. But I do want to talk about this dominant Cruz-Hirsihudo fight. So Hirsihudo was originally supposed to face off against um, Jose Aldo, but Aldo is not going to be able to make the card, as a, a lot of Brazilian fighters saw they were unable to get um, work visas because the U.S. embassy basically was not processing requests at the time due to um, the pandemic and the shutdown of travel. So in, with Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan. Sitting out on the wayside, waving their hands, yelling out, pick me, pick me. The UFC and Hudo decided to go with Dominic Cruz. Now, Dominic Cruz has not fought since t- December 30th of 2016, where he lost a decision to Cody Garbrand. Since then, since 2011, he's fought four times once in 2014, three times in 2016. So he went from that position, I don't even think he's ranked. To fighting the champion for the Bantamweight title. Schwan, help me make sense of this, please. Uh, why did this occur? And is this really, it's like, is this real life right now?
1: Well, the reason this makes, the reason it's hard to sell the fight, it's really hard to sell the fight from a, from a log- logistical point of view, because you're sitting there, from a logical point of view, because you're sitting there and you're saying, if this was the average fighter, you'd say he hasn't fought in years. We don't know what he can do. We don't know what stage he is in. He's facing a dominant champion. He's facing a dominant fighter. This fight's a farce. This fight's a a trash can fire. Whatever you want to call it. But the thing that works in the favor of Dominic Cruz is his history. Now, I'm not saying saying, um, Dominic is going to win this fight. I'm not saying the fight is legitimate. But Dominic Cruz has taken huge breaks from fighting, and what happens every time he comes back? He beats a highly ranked contender, or he beats a champion. That's happened multiple, multiple times. He came back. He destroyed Mitsugaki. He just leveled him. I mean, Mitsugaki wasn't necessarily a top three, five guy, but he was a top ten guy, and he was considered a tough out, and he walked right through He took time off, rolled off the couch, came right from behind the announcer's table, and eked out a decision win over one of the most dominant champions in Bantamweight history, and TJ Dillashaw. And then he came back and he fought Faber, and he beat Faber too. So even though, even though those fights were a long time ago, even, those fight, even though those fights probably weren't against athletes the caliber of Henry Cejudo, the fact of the matter is he has a history of taking months, years off, and coming back and pulling, essentially pulling out upsets against highly ranked, highly skilled, highly established fighters. That's basically what he's been known for in the past couple of years. So you can kind of sell this. You can kind of sell this to the public because it's what Dominic Cruz does. He takes off for a while, comes back and just wipes the floor with some highly ranked dangerous fighter. So maybe he can turn the trick one more time. And if he does turn the trick one more time, there's an argument that not, that not only is he the best band weight of all time, you have to start considering him as being one of the best all time fighters, even with the lack of activity to take that much time off and be taken on top, top 10, top five, number one contenders and champions and wiping the floor with them and beating them decisively, uh, that, that's something you probably won't ever see again in the history of the sport. You know, it's different when you have like a Floyd Mayweather who is so far ahead of everybody, but that's Floyd not having any injuries. That's Floyd just choosing to take time off and getting to pick who he's going to fight. Dominic Cruz is just picking the best person available for him to fight, and he's winning and doing so decisively. So um, with his past history, there's an angle you can sell this fight. He's, I know that's the angle he's going to say, I've done it before, three times I've taken time off, three times I've come back, three times I'm, I'm 3-0 and off long breaks against a top 10, a number one contender, and a champion. I'm 3-0, and two guys who were historic, historically two of the b- best lighter weight fighters in the history of the sport. I beat them both, coming off an extended break. So I think that's the way they're going to try to sell the fight and angle the fight. I'm sure that's what Dominic Cruz is going to do.
0: Um, ugh, man, I just, that just does not cut it for me. Uh, when you look, the, the guy has not been productive in an extremely long time. Um, and it's not even a, like, I understand that he was getting in the cage competing, um, still, still putting on wins and losses, et cetera, et cetera. So after being active, he has not fought in almost four years. In many regards, he hasn't even shown an interest in fighting. Like, has he been booked in anything between that last fight in 2016 and now? And he's been pulled out. Has he? Has he? Like,
1: I, I um, thought they were going to do. I thought they were going to do something with Peter
0: Yawn. So let me see. So he was okay. Let's see. So he he fought. He last fought in 2016, where he defeated or excuse me, where he lost to Cody Garbrandt. December 30th, 2016. He was supposed to face Jimmy Rivera a year later um, at UFC 219. But in November of that year, he suffered a broken arm and was forced off the card. So that's one. Then he was supposed to face John Lineker in January of 2019. And then he was forced off the card from a shoulder injury. Um, So yeah, he was supposed to fight twice and two injuries forced him off the card both time. Man, I don't think you booked this fight because A, he to say dominic Cruz is injury prone in training is an understatement. And I hate to make that point, but you have to at this point in time on what, three, maybe four weeks notice, your body is not at the point where you're clicking on all cylinders and you're being able to, I'm not saying he wasn't training at all, but being able to p- sustain the effort that's needed to put together a full camp and be able to be ready. He may not even make it to the fight. Like that's how injury prone he is. So I don't even think you booked this fight on that accord by itself, but from the storytelling standpoint, you have Peter Yan and Algermaine Sterling sitting there as top, top names for him to face. That is those are banger fights, especially the Aljermaine Sterling and fight in my opinion. I understand Cruz is the bigger name he is the commentator he is the guy that fans will know he has you know he, he has various shows that he puts together um, promoting fights and in and in, in doing um, the analysis standpoint of that I get that but from a booking standpoint this fight does not make any sense and I don't think you can sell it on any of those um, points
1: yeah I, I mean from the legitimacy point you have better guys you have Peter Jan. but but once again, Who's the best guy Peter Young has beaten? A faded Uriah Faber? I'm not saying he's not better. I'm not saying he's not a legitimate tester for for Cejudo for many reasons. I've talked about on Twitter. So I I know he's a legitimate test. But when you really get down to the nuts and bolts of his record, who has he really beaten? Has he beaten anybody as good as TJ Dillashaw? Dominic Cruz has. There's an argument you can say. They both beat Uriah Faber. Okay, so they're a scratch on that. Both of them have beaten Uriah Faber, except Dominic Cruz beat Uriah Uriah Faber four or five years ago when Uriah Faber was in more of his athletic prime, he beat a Uriah Faber who hadn't fought in like a year or two and only had one fight in between. He's beaten the better in his, if his last three or four fights, he's fought better competition. He's beat better competition than Peter Yan has in the entirety of his time in, um, in, in the, in, a, in the UFC, in the Bantamweight division. Aljamain Sterling also, he's fought some really good guys, but, A lot of guys he's beaten. I mean, he lost to Marais, who got starched and got really manhandled by Cejudo. He struggled in a fight against Pedro Munoz. It wasn't, like, the most dominant win. I'm not saying these guys don't have a legitimate argument as far as their rankings, their skill sets, their physical tools. I'm just saying there is a way you can spin this to make Cruz fighting Cejudo seem legitimate and reasonable. I'm not saying it is, but there's an angle you can spin. The UFC wants to take advantage of having the opportunity to have all these eyes on it. They can't afford to put in people who don't draw interest, people who can't talk, people who can't sell a fight, people who can't make Henry Cejudo look kind of dumb. Because Cejudo's a smart guy, but when his trash talk is very subpar, a guy like Cruz can expose that. You can work around that. You can build that. Peter Yannick can't sell a fight. Not behind the mic, he can't. Aljamain Sterling, hmm, I don't think he can do it either. They're trying to go for the... The short-term big burst to get the attention, and then they'll worry about legitimacy down the line. And I don't know why anybody's shocked by this because the UFC has always done this. I don't even understand why anybody's shocked. I don't even understand why anybody's offended. It, it's what the UFC's always done. So, so what are we talking about here?
0: So you said a few different diff- different things there. Um... One, I disagree with you about Aljamain Sterling being able to sell a fight. The man can talk, yep. and on top he, of and on top sold, of that, go ahead. He hasn't sold one yet.
1: I he mean, hasn't we'll given the
0: opportunity to. Like if you look at if you look at the if you look at his um, some of his quotes, especially recently, he says he says the type of shit that the UFC doesn't want fighters to uh, say. Like his comment last week. Where he was calling out people who are trying to fight for the UFC. And he's like, and you think the UFC is gonna owe you a favor? He's like, you, you got another thing coming. Comments like that, he's a lot like Kevin Lee, where he says the things that the UFC doesn't want him to say, and that is held against them. So I think that he he is a different type of, of, of a promoter in that standpoint. And you know, there like when I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna go down that path. He's not the type of individual that the UFC appreciates when they when they when they say shit like that. He's not a Diaz brother. He's not a he's not a cowboy. He's not um, Cerrone. He's not one of those guys who can say whatever the hell they want to say and it'd be okay. Algermain sells himself in a different type of way where he's gonna say wherever he wants and he um will, and he's been doing that, especially a lot lately. Yeah, his record like neither one of neither one, his um record or Peter Jan's record holds up to Dominic Cruz's, but at some point in time. Domin- the time dominant Cruz has been out of the case has got to count against them, and I think that that time is right now.
1: No, I would I would agree with that I, like it, like I said, but the thing about it is, in the in the made up fights the UFC has pulled out of their behind, Chael Sonnen versus John Jones. This is this is more legitimate than this. Um, there's been other fights where it's like you see people getting knocked out cold, and they're having a re- they're having a title fight rematch with somebody who was knocked out in the first round. Why are we having a rematch? That, I don't care if they defend the title, but it wasn't even a close fight. Why are we having another rematch? That fight doesn't make any sense. And, and some of the clown fights the UFC has put together, this is one of the ones that at least has some legitimacy to me. Once again, I understand the difference between actual legitimate, but for MMA, this is legitimate as you can go. I mean, Dominic Cruz is 3-1 and, one is, three and one in his last four fights. I'd say that Aljamain Sterling is 3-1 and one in his last four fights. Peter Jan is, what, 4-0 in his last four, but he ain't really fought nobody. I mean, and even though he knocked out Uri Faber, and I, it was a knockout, if we're going to say Uriah Faber's his past is past his prime, and everybody says Uri Faber is not that good technically, he's so flawed, and we're going to say all that, then why the hell do we give Peter Young credit for beating him? And that's the best guy. I guess Jimmy Rivera might be the best, but he'd be. But I, I, I was never high on Jimmy Rivera either, to be quite honest. So the best two guys he's beaten is Jimmy Rivera and Uriah Faber okay, well, we said Uriah Fabring, great, so that went essentially off the board. And Jimmy Rivera, is good at the streak he's gone on, I don't, I don't really think much of him either. So while, while based on records, based on youth, based on how the fight should go technically, I see why they have an argument. None of those fights can draw interest. I, I, I can't depend on Peter Yan to hold an interview and make a fight sell. Those fights with Cruz got a lot of attention because Cruz's fight with Dillashaw because Cruz was making Dillashaw look like a clown. The fights with Faber were interesting because Cruz had this long-standing beef and he was making Faber look like a clown verbally. Even the fights with Cody Garbrod, that fight wasn't any fight anybody was really asking for, but the fight got sold based off of Cruz's ability to be a a pest. And Cruz making smart comments, big social media stuff, all the while building up the UFC while taking his opponent apart. Interest slowly building those fights, you know. So that that's the only logic I can think is going. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair, but it is what it is. And the fact of the matter is, when it works in any fighter's favor, they never complain. If Aljamain Sterling would have got a title shot right after getting knocked out by Mariz, he wouldn't have complained. He would have took his title fight, took his title fight, and went on about his business. Your Peter Young would have had a would have had a tough fight with Faber and would have won it, and he got a title shot. He wouldn't complain. He would thought he earned the fight. They all think they earned the fight. So by that logic, we can't go by anything. And none of them would be willing to give up a title fight to do the right thing. None of them would. So I'm not going to get mad at Cruz for taking his shot. At least he's earned it. He's, he's one of the top two bantamweights of all time. At least I can make an argument that he's, he's getting rewarded for previous work. Maybe not current work, but previous work. At least I can make, that makes some kind of sense to me.
0: Okay, sir. I could definitely see your side of the story there. I, I just don't think that this is the fight that I would like to see. Um, we're not going to talk about Amanda quite in New Year's quite yet we got a question about her. But the Lyman Goods situation, you know, he was originally supposed to be on this car too, but now he's out because of a COVID-19 diagnosis. Um, do you think, what do you think about him revealing that, that information? From a, I guess, kind of a PR standpoint, it's a good move for him because people can say he's being responsible. But overall, do you think that that's information that the UFC wanted to get out?
1: I don't think the UFC wanted to get out, but, um, you know, I, I think maybe I, I'm sure he's just sharing this because they're being, they're being honest, but I think part of it is also, I hate to think like this, but I think part of it is speaking out and sharing this to be more relatable to fans and to people who are suffering. like, and I hate to put it like this, but I feel every opportunity in the tragedy, pandemic, disaster, there's an opportunity to separate yourself. There's an opportunity to improve. There's an opportunity to improve your position. Saying that you're going through this and you're going through what all the regular people who aren't fighters and aren't athletes and don't work for multi-billion dollar corporations is going through is the way to make yourself more relatable. Now, you really know what I'm going through. You're not just hearing about it. You've experienced it. You've gone through it. That makes you relatable. And being relatable is something that has a lot of value in mixed martial arts. Being a great fighter is too, but having either a personality where you stand so far above people that people want to be like you, or being somebody who people can relate to is something that carries a lot of weight when making fights, when getting opportunities to speak, when having opportunities to get behind the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the analyst desk. It opens up a lot of opportunities if you do it right. And once again, I'm not saying he's doing this being done on purpose. But I feel there's a little bit of this to it because I don't think the UFC will want to have any of their fighters coming out saying they've had it or they think they have it or anything of that nature. I really don't think they want anybody to say that.
0: So my mind immediately went to if he's been training, preparing for a fight, how many other people did he come in contact with? That's immediately where my mind went. And that may... Um, I, like, that's just why, how I think from a from a being involved with the gym position because there's no way on earth if he was training, preparing for a fight, and he does talk about that, that he kept training, there's no way on earth he, someone else didn't get sick. I find that impossible uh, because of the way we know, what we know about how COVID-19 and coronavirus are transmitted, how it's passed from one person to, a, to another and the nature itself of mixed martial arts. We know that, that, that it's almost impossible for him to have been training and no one else um, end up with the uh, issue, even if they were asymptomatic. So that's immediately where my mind goes. And that's been the issue, one of the main issues that so many people have been talking about when it comes to the situation and the UFC continuing trying to push forward with events. Because now, that has to be the question. Um, how many other people did, did he get... Um, did he get involved with or have physical contact with? How many people did those people have physical contact with? I think it all kind of snowballs from there, and it's not an easy matter to discuss in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think that the UFC would be – probably they probably wouldn't were were not pleased with his um, revealing that news.
1: Yeah, I I can't imagine they were. I I guess it answers the question where – remember, originally I was saying that I thought that somebody might pay someone to keep quiet just because – it's, such a, it's so problematic to find out one of their athletes may, may, have, may have had this issue or was having this issue because, like you said, you're training for a fight. You're training to be in a fight. And as you're training to be in this fight, let's say you find out, let's say me and you were training together. So we're training again, training again, training together. Three weeks later, you find out you've got it. Well, that's three weeks you found out you got it. That doesn't mean you only had it, for, you, you, you just got it. Most likely means you've had it for a minute. And I've been exposed to you while you've had it, and I've brought it to other people. So it, it, it opens up all sorts of questions and all sorts of problems. You know, if somebody's wife gets it or their baby gets it or their parent gets it, and they know that you ended up turning out to have it, that, that presents some problems. I mean, I don't know if there's a legal issue you could have. I don't know, since you chose to train with that person, you know it's a possibility if there's anything you can do, but there's, there's a definite question about it. Now, if somebody never announces themselves as positive, that means you could have got it when you went to the grocery store, when you, I don't know, you're at the gas pump, whatever they'll make up. But when somebody says they actually tested positive and they had to work through that and you dealt with that person, then that's a guarantee that you actually were exposed to the disease. And you just either didn't show, either they were asymptomatic and they didn't show it and you got it, or you just were asymptomatic and getting it and you've been carrying it around to other people.
0: Yeah, that's a very slippery slope that we're playing with here. And that's really been the whole issue. Again, like I said, that's the whole reason why so many people in the, from a media standpoint were raising issues with uh, the push for all of these cards to continue going on. Um, what are some of your last thoughts in reference to these developments with USC 249 moving on to Florida?
1: I'm just not shocked. I mean, I, I'm, I was a little shocked that ESPN put the kibosh on it earlier. I knew it was going to be remade. I knew, knew they were going to do it around. I really thought the UFC was good. the ESPN and USC were going to go through and have the event on the time it was scheduled to have. So that shocked me. But everything else, nah, nothing else shocks me. That the, like I said, the UFC is trying to curry favors with the fans by being the only live sports showing right now. They're willing to risk fighters' hells and fighters' families' hells to make this happen. The worst part about this, the worst thing part about this is, and I, I wouldn't expect the NBA guys to do this or NFL guys to do this, but you got NBA guys who make 10, you know, even the guy on the bench makes a couple hundred thousand. You know, let, let's just be honest. Even the guy on the 10 day contract makes more than the guys in UFCs. Guys in the G League make more than guys in the UFC. So you have those guys, and I can kind of understand why they make that sacrifice or why, why they'd expose themselves to that risk. That kind of makes sense to me. But some of these guys in these UFC cars and be fighting for 10 and 10, eight and eight, and they probably only take home 2,000 out of it after you pay for training, food. And hotel rooms is that even really worth it I mean is that really even worth it
0: according to them and the average MMA fan it seems like it is and they all want to fight we know that that's that continues to be the narrative that we're fed even if you and I don't agree with that situation my friend So we're going to move on now and talk about uh, a new topic here because it parallels directly with what we just talked about with the UFC having their event on May 9th. And that's Bellator and Professional Fighting League. And they're both taking steps to uh, get in front of the coronavirus situation. And they're also protecting their fighters at the same time. Uh, So two different types of news broke this week. First was the PFL Newsbrook on Monday, that they are postponing the 2020 season, and they will be picking things back up in spring of 2021. And Bellator also postponed uh, Bellator 244, which was supposed to happen in June. So look at that. they actually, excuse me, Bellator, I think they canceled their event, and you got to be very careful with that terminology. So I believe Bellator canceled their event, Bellator 244, which was scheduled for June 8th and PFL postponed their 2020 season. Now, the reason why this is so important is because we're talking about two promotions canceling events that were further out than the UFC's showcase, and they're still taking the measure to um, end these events. Bellator's event was supposed to happen in Chicago, and I don't know when the next PFL planned fight was supposed to occur. While we do not have word from Bellator PFL has announced that they're paying their fighters a monthly stipend, um, all their contracted fighters, from now until next year when they start out their new events. Bellator, they've been paying fighters their full show-and-win money for these last few events that they've canceled. At least Bellator, two, which, which one was that, 241 that they canceled the day of or something like that, or like a couple hours before? From that one on, the sentiment has been that Bellator has been paying out fighters for um, those canceled events. I can't never, I can confirm about all of them, but that's been kind of the um, sentiment. So Schwam, when you look at these situations here, these two situations uh, specifically, how, okay, my first question is, let's talk about goodwill with fighters here. MMA free agency isn't a big, isn't a real thing per se in my opinion. I think it is for some people, for others it is not. I've written about this a couple of times in the past. But seeing Bellator and PFL take these steps to look out for, and I'm putting that in air quotes, look out for their fighters, do you think that that builds any cachet for them with fighters as they are preparing to take, plan and take the next steps in their career? Can we see this be a reason that some fighters in the future make the jump from the UFC to Bellator or PFL?
1: Uh, I think there's a logical reason behind it. Um, the fact of the matter is Bellator has a certain amount of appeal over the UFC just because of the issue with the uh, sponsorships. so there's a way to make more money than you could make at the UFC even if you don't make top money as far as your actual pay you can make money off of sponsors the fact that Bellator is just coming out of their pocket and paying for folk, you know, fighters even though they're not fighting is, is like an olive branch it does mean something because this is a tough spot for everybody and people who who would you say they're getting their their show money and their win money?
0: Yeah, that was at least for that one Bellatory event. They got both. They got full purses.
1: So you're so you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to supposed to get ten thousand, and then you get another ten, so you get twenty thousand. That's money you weren't expecting. I mean, yeah, you expect to win, but there's no guarantee you're going to win. There's never a guarantee you're going to win. So that's money you weren't expecting. That's an extra. That's an extra. That's an extra bonus for you when you're in a t- you're in a really tight spot. First of all, and. St- and so that separates it because UFC is supposedly the big the big name organization, the guys with all the money, the guys with the first rate operation, but for all your first rate operation and all the financing and backing you have, you're just paying you're, you're not doing the same thing. you're not taking care of the fighters. you're basically saying we all are independent contractors, we paid you a salary. you should have had this taken care of or, or dressed on your own behalf so that that's the thing that didn't. To a lot of fighters, to the big name fighters, is not an issue. Amanda Nunes doesn't have to fight. Conor McGregor doesn't have to fight. Justin Gaethje doesn't have to fight. But the people who were, check to check, who were the middle, lower middle class, and and I guess poverty level type level fighters, yeah, this this that would make a big difference. That would make a very big difference for them overall. Um, I really think the PFL situation is the best one, just because they're they're paying. I don't know what the stipend in, uh, stipend is. I don't know how much of the contract it is. But for you to know that every month until this is over, I'm getting a certain a certain percent of my paycheck that carries over more than just that one payday. You know, if it's done correctly, like, oh, every month I can guarantee I'm getting two or three, whatever the four or five thousand, whatever it is, I'm getting it on a monthly basis. So this lasts for the next six months. I can plan out what I need to pay, what I need to cut out, what I need to do, how I'm going to how I'm going to juggle things with the one time payment of your pay money, your show money. I mean, yeah, that's great for now and maybe half of next month. What do you can do the month after? We can do the month after. You don't have a fight schedule. They're not gonna keep paying you because they're not making fights. You're gonna have to fight at some point. With the way the PFL is doing it, it really seems like they're putting the fighters' best interests at heart. And not only are they saying we're let's be safe, they're saying we're gonna pay you to be safe until it's until it's safe for us to go again. Cause it's costing us money as any it's costing us money regardless. Whether we hold the event or not, you might not be getting 100% of your money, but if you're getting 50% of money and everybody on the everybody on the uh, roster is getting 50% of their money, it's still costing us money to not show or to have the show. And we're not making any money either. So it looks like they're putting themselves out on behalf of the fighters, which the UFC is clearly not doing. And Bellator is doing a little bit, but not, not to the degree that the PFL is doing.
0: So the next piece of that question then is, if they're building up goodwill with the fighters, do you think that this move is building up goodwill with fans as well? Does this build interest in some of the names that are on, that are in Bellator, like a Patricio Friere, a um, Darian Caldwell, a Doug, uh, which one? Doug Lima that is is in um, Bellator or a Kayla Harrison that's in PFL, a Lance Palmer, a Roy McDonald that's over there now. Does this move and the positive? I hope the positive coverage that it's getting. Does this help them build some uh, fan base for both promotions?
1: Um, well, the thing is, a lot of MMA fans seem to be very heartless. I don't know that it builds a fan base necessarily, um, but for the before the, uh, I guess for the more educated fans, the fans who really care about the athletes on all fronts and not just as a source of entertainment. I think it helps them tremendously because it shows like you're running like a you're you're running like a world class organization you're showing some concern for the fighters. I mean to be to be quite honest if I'm if I'm being honest it doesn't matter if it does if it gets support from the fans because the fans will come if there's good fights. The fans will come if there's names. The fans will come if they're getting their money's worth. Being on the good side of the fighters where the fighters feel like they're being taken care of which down the line is going to mean those fighters are most likely going to be willing to take some chances or put themselves second on behalf of the organization at a later date. That's what's going to matter, because there's going to be fights that maybe shouldn't, that wouldn't be made, that are going to be made, because the fighters are going to be like, hey, they, they took care of me in a tough time, I can, I can take them for the team in this education. Or when they finally get fighters, they know we're going to get top, high-end quality, well-prepared fighters instead of a hodgepodge of, hodgepodge of matchups. They're just being rushed together because they're trying to get a product out
0: from a, st- a fan standpoint though you know do you think that that'll cause some fans to want to want to learn more about this product and what they have to offer
1: um I, I don't think it helps anything with the fans at all I mean the fans the fans is shown they want to see fight don't care about fighter health, don't care about fighter wellbeing. they just want to see fights. So in the short term, it might hurt them a little bit because they're not putting out a product. In the long term, I think it helps them just because the fighters will have the chance to, to train and prepare properly. So it should be a higher quality fight. And you might have fighters who might be willing to take tougher matchups or go out and speak on the behalf of the organization and speak the joys of being at the PFL and the benefits and how it's so much better than the other, the other organizations. That might happen, but I don't, I don't know that it, resonates with the fans the fans just want to see what they're going to see that that's been proven
0: okay all right good thoughts there sir um what are your last thoughts about Botor and pfo taking the steps to cancel these events even events that are even scheduled further out than this upcoming ufc showcase that we've seen
1: um i think it's a good idea because this can't last forever i mean financially it just can't last forever So instead of taking the short money and having events right away, give them some time. Even if they don't really care about the fighters, it looks like you care about the fighters because you're here for fighter safety. In the case of Bellator, you paid them their show and their win money. You move the events back so you can see what the landscape has shown us, see if other places are opening, see if the things drop off a little bit or, or flatten out. In the case of PFL, it's the same thing, except we're giving our guys a monthly stipend. We're making sure they're taken care of and they have a guaranteed set amount of money. They're going to get every month, so they don't have the stress of having to force fights or train in a healthy situation, and it makes them, that makes them look really good. And then, of course, they're doing the same thing, moving the events back. That way, it, it makes the appearance that they're really fighter-friendly, and their, goal, their main concern is the fighters and their family. Whether it is or whether it's not, that's the way it looks. And that look is going to help them when it comes to negotiating with, other, with, negotiating with fighters, they have in the contract and fighters who potentially could be in the contract. They're going to remember this stuff like this. I decided the UFC, I was stuck out. I was begging for fights that I didn't want to have because I needed money. And the guy who, who the PFL offered me, but I resigned with the UFC. And now the guys in the PFL are just sitting back, sitting back, getting their monthly money, percentage of their paycheck for doing nothing. And they know they have money coming in, and I don't. And there's no other way for me to make money because there's no other jobs opening for me right now.
0: All right there, sir. Um, let's let's move on in to segment number three. So our third topic is listener questions. And we have three questions here that are pretty, um, I think are pretty interesting. I think, and I pretty uh, much have a good idea of what your thoughts will be on some of these, So the first one is reference to Lyman Good and Amanda Nunez. I kind of hinted at these earlier, but we got a question in whether or not we think Lyman Good and or Amanda Nunez will be punished for the decisions that they've made in reference to the COVID nineteen situation. As we said, Good has he revealed that he um, that was the reason why he pulled out of his originally planned fight that was supposed be booked on UFC two forty nine, and then um, Amanda Nunez, you know, she said that she's not fighting. Period. In this um, situation that she's going to elect to put together a full camp and not, um, not do this right now. So, Schwann, what are your thoughts about that here, and do we think either one of them will get punished?
1: Well, I mean, I hate to bring this up, but UFC does not have the biggest reputation of treating Brazilian fighters fair. They don't have the greatest reputation of treating female fighters fair, unless your name's Ronda Rousey. They don't have the biggest um, record of treating the part of the uh, gay queer community particularly well or pushing them particularly hard or putting them out front, they don't have any of that working for them. So I can't imagine that they would even hint at punishing their double champion, Brazilian, female, lesbian champion. I just don't know what good could come of it, even if it seemed like she was getting punished. I mean, it's one thing, Dana White can talk off a lot of things, and he can explain away a lot of things, it would be a really hard explanation to wonder why all of a sudden Amanda Nunes can't get fights. I mean, people already think that he's against her now. She can't get fights. She's not getting pushed. You're pushing all these other girls. And, and one, one of the girls you're pushing is in a division that really only has four fighters. I, I can't see it happening to her. It's just too big a risk. Too many issues could come up. And like I said before, when you're with the ESPN, a lot of stuff that happens now becomes a bigger story than it would be normally because you've got that, you've got that organization behind you and they don't just pay for the content. They pay for any drama issues, legal, whatever that stands out, because that also helps them move units, get buy, get pay-per-view buys, helps them generate interest for ratings for their show. I mean, they are partners with the NFL, but when an NFL person does a crime, how many times do you see it on ESPN on regular rotation? So they have some kind of issue where it seems like the lesbian, Brazilian female double champ fighter is getting punished Looking after her health and her family, that is just not the kind of story the UFC wants to play around with. I know Dana's very bold, very brave, but even even he's got to know better than that. As far as Lyman Good, that's different. That's different approach. He's not anybody. No offense to him. Good fighter, What I understand a good guy? You can you can justify why Lyman Good isn't getting fight. You can spin that because he's not a he's not a good enough fighter or impactful enough fighter in the UFC to. To for people to really noticed it. So you can explain that away. It'd be really hard to explain someone in Amanda Nunes' position away.
0: I'm not going to say I expect them to get punished. I don't think they will. Um, I think people will be keeping a close eye on that. And even if, I know Lyman Good wouldn't talk out about that. Uh, he wouldn't speak about that. I think Amanda Nunez would if she was in a position. That she felt like she was getting ostracized for her decision. But, yeah, I don't think neither one of them will be punished, per se. And I'm using that in air quotes. Uh, I, but I do think people will be keeping a closer eye on that. Because I know they can't be pleased that Nunez has decided to pull out on what would be a huge card. And they're trying to draw as much attention to it as necessary. I really hope they don't try to do some interim title bullshit, either. Because she deserves better than that. Um, they can move that fight. If, if I was Felicia Spencer, she better she should hope that they move that fight for her because that gives her more time to prepare as well. She's going to need every bit of it. Um, same thing with Lyman Good. I hope he doesn't really get in trouble or get um, help, things held against him as well. I mean, I always forget that he's a Bellator champion, man, a former Bellator champion, and uh, he just hasn't really been in any positive positions since. Uh, the second question we have is also in reference to UFC 249. And is it a good idea for this event to still go on this soon? Siwon, I'm going to throw it to you first, whether or not you think this is a good idea, uh, yes or no, and why or why not.
1: Um, I don't really think it's a great idea. I just think it's going to happen because the UFC is trying to make money and they're going to hide behind the thing that their fighters just want to fight. And I think a lot of the fighters want to fight because they need money too. I, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't necessarily agree with it. Who am, I, who am I to say somebody can't get paid? Who am I to sit here and tell them what to do with their corporation? They don't listen to anybody anyways, especially not someone like me. So who, who, who am I to question it? I don't agree with it. I don't like it. I'd rather people just get paid to sit back and, and, and be healthy and figure out some kind of new creative way to, to come up with some content. But that's never been the UFC style. And so I've just accepted it's going to happen.
0: sorry, I was on mute there. Um, I personally don't think this is a good idea. Uh, not yet. We need to make sure we're in a position where we can we can say people are protected. Um, with Lyman Good popping up with COVID-19, that's one case within the USC that we may or may not know about. Um, like I've, I've talked openly on this show. And on the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast about the um, WWE and their issue with uh, they had a talent pop up with COVID-19. And even today, they had a anonymous individual call into, I can't remember the um, the name of the official meeting, but they had an anonymous individual who claims he is a WWE employee make accusations that WWE is forcing them to perform during this time and that he's concerned that that would that he in air quotes, their name was John. Clearly that's not their real name, that uh, they were concerned that the WWE is going to fire people who say that they don't want to perform during this time. A lot of a lot of outlets are are reporting about that news. And I, you know, if that's a serious accusation there. And while we don't have anything coming out like that about the UFC, I just don't think that they want to put themselves in a position where something could occur. Um, would with so many different contact trackers that are out working it and tracking down where people are going, where people are coming into contact with others, if something was to happen, it could be traced back to this showcase. It could be traced back to a gym. It could be traced back to a single fighter and a fighter who may have been asymptomatic, stepping in, in into the cage and getting into a fight, getting touched by a ref who then touches his family, who then spreads it to so-and-so. And so-and-so. Like It's just it's so many different opportunities there that they just can't risk right now, but they're going to put themselves out there and they're still going to risk it. I just don't think that now's the time, but we're going to see where, like one of the best quotes I've heard about the steps that are being taken to fight coronavirus was at the end of all this, we want to hope that we feel like we were too hard or our response was, was too stringent because that means that nobody you care about got infected and, and, and died. That is a key kind of quote to me because if, at the end of the day, Donald Trump made screen from the rooftops, we were too strict, we, we went too far, et cetera, et cetera. But that means that what we did worked, that the social distancing worked, that the shutting down the economy worked, et cetera, et cetera, because it could have been a lot, a lot worse. And with that in mind, I think that this event may be going on a little bit too soon. Yeah,
1: it's not making sense, but. You know, everybody keeps arguing. The argument I always hear is, as people talk about the health or the death toll that can come up from the disease, people aren't talking about the health and the death toll that comes from when people aren't, people aren't employed and people aren't working. And when, in case of fighters and some of these wrestlers, you don't have time to establish another career unless you make a certain kind of money where you can expand. You don't have acting money. You don't have TV show money. You don't have TV, do, TV production money or movie production money or music production money. You have what you have. You make what you earn, and if you're not working, I don't even know that they have to say they actually had to actually punish you. They're just not going to pay you, and much like the rest of us, and depending on how they live their lifestyle, they might not be able to afford to go a month or two months without making any money. You know, Depending on how they saved, how they've earned, what they've, put the, what, what they've invested their money in, they might not be able to afford it. I think a lot of them can't afford it. So even if they don't threaten them like they're going to punish them, we just won't pay you. And when things get back to normal, we'll just reward the people who were there for us. And we'll, you know, especially in the wrestling business, we'll push the people back who didn't. And the UFC is not much better because they ask ask for a lot from the fighters, from short-term fights, the fighting in a pandemic. But when you do it, all they say is, well, that's your job. You're supposed to take these fights. I'm not looking out for you because you did what you were supposed to do. I'll pay your salary and we'll keep it moving.
0: Okay, sir. Last question we have. This is a, this is a pretty interesting one to me. We talked about PFL and Bellator doing what they're doing for fighters and canceling their um, events. What is it that's keeping the UFC just from making an announcement that hey, we're going to pay fighters a stipend? Uh, f- period. Not even outside of the pandemic. We hear so much talk about fighter pay and Dana White gets into so much argue, so many arguments with the media about it, almost on a weekly basis. Why what is stopping them from just saying, you know what, we're going to create a stipend for fighters, X amount of money on a bi-weekly basis, treat them like employees, or in in that not necessarily treat them like employees, like WWE has like a, a downside guarantee structure that they pay the individuals on their roster. There's ways around this that they can keep them listed as independent contractors and still find a way to improve their pay structure. What is stopping the UFC from taking that step? The positive response. But the positive um, press response to that would be huge in a time where they really do need it. What do you think is really stopping them from doing that?
1: They don't want to. There's no reason to. That's more work for them. If they do that, that does a lot. That's work for the UFC. And yeah, it pays off, and yeah, it's gun media coverage and all that stuff, but it's just more work for them. They don't want to do it. They don't, they don't want to do it. That's going to require them to do more than they want to do, and they don't want to do it. That's all, this, that's all, that's all it comes down to. They don't want to. It's too much trouble. If I do this, I got to do this. And then I got to do that. And now I got have to do it for this fighter. Now I got to do it for every fighter. And I got to put a stipend in. And that's just more things for me to consider. I don't want to do it. That's pretty much where it is. They could do it. I mean, they signed for enough money. They got enough backing. They, they've got deals with ESPN, too. They, they've got ways they could do it. They choose not to do it because they don't want to because it doesn't benefit them. It takes time. It takes resources. And it takes money, and they don't want to spend the time, resources, or money helping these fighters. And the fighters really don't care outside of themselves. They really don't care either. As long as they're being, as we've said before, as long as they're being taken care of, they're not going to lean on the UFC. They're not going to push back against the UFC. They're not going to do anything to upset the UFC. So once again, the UFC doesn't care, and the fighters don't care enough to make a big enough stink or take action against it to create an environment where the UFC has to care.
0: Do you think we'll ever get to a point where that actually
1: happens? I like to say, yeah. I like to think at some point people are going to stick together and start making stands. But human nature is pretty selfish, to be quite honest. And I haven't seen, like, well, like I said, I, I would say somebody in the, like when the UFC got bought out by the Fertitas, they had to make a sacrifice. I know they're rich, but they had to, they had to buy in. They had to risk their reputation, their finances, whether it's their dad's money, their money. They had to take a risk to make this happen. Nobody who's a fighter seems to want to take the risk of their career to make sure that other fighters, future fighters, other people in their division are taken care of. They all do what is best for themselves. That's all they do. They take fights that are best for themselves. They take deals that are best for themselves. They take opportunities that are best for themselves. Nobody says I shouldn't get this title fight. Give it to him. That never happened. Nobody says, let me fight the toughest matchup so that I can make, let somebody else who, who, who's worthy of a title shot get one. Never happens. Nobody says, hey, if I'm getting paid a million, I want to make sure my opponent's getting paid a million. Maybe, maybe Conor McGregor, that's his stick. Red panty night, I get you paid. Who else does that? Who else cares? They say, that's not my business. I'm just here to fight do the best I can. And until someone decides they're going to put other people first, it's going gonna, gonna to keep moving in this cycle. The UFC and their investors are all focus on making each other money and taking care of one another. The fighters are only concerned about taking care of themselves. and Until that changes, the UFC will always have the upper hand and the UFC will never have any real leverage or pressure to get things done. I know I'm not going to pressure them. If the, if the people in horrible circumstances aren't going to aren't going to try and do better or fight better, why am I taking time out of my day or interrupting my the jobs I have to do or interrupting the money I can make or time with my family so I can fight a battle that you're unwilling to fight? What sense does that make?
0: thoughts there sir we are going to begin closing out our show today but before we do that shuan please let everybody know what you are working on give everybody a preview into your head what's going on up in there
1: uh i just been kind of bouncing around a couple pieces it's hard i guess it's the stuff i'll do will be more kind of a kind of cover a variety of things, usually in the women's MMA sector, maybe MMA overall. I did have my Daredevil pieces come out two weeks ago. Thank you for everybody who supported it and checked it out. But um, probably just talking about training habits and uh, some thoughts I have as far as how fighters are being developed, that kind of stuff.
0: True, true. I am working on my typical MMA and pro wrestling coverage. Um, you will find all of that on this channel here. Let's talk wrestling. That next episode will go up on Thursday. I have a little bit of content to catch up to, but stay tuned for that. Um, you can go over to Ratings.net, which is our flagship, to read all the content that Adam Martin's putting together and rate our fights or rate the fights. Let us know what you're thinking about mixed martial arts and a lot of those battles um, that are coming up or those that have happened in the past. Along with that, you can find us on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes. And anchor as well, Spotify. If I haven't already mentioned that, and our YouTube channel is MMA Ratings. So with that in mind, um, we're going to go ahead and close out. Shwana, thank you for joining me once again and doing all that you do each and every um, each and every week. We'll be back here next week and have a great day, sir.
1: Yeah, everybody, enjoy your week. Stay safe, Raphael. me you know where to reach me at.
0: Yep. See you guys
1: later. All right, sir.